Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom most of my listeners, you are devouring these episodes, fascinated by the women's stories and wondering if you could do this too. Do you wish that you had a step-by-step strategy for how to actually plan and manifest your free birth? Our complete guide to free birth is the number one course for free birth, and we made it for women just like you. It's a self-guided online intensive course that will teach you everything we think you need to know about how to birth freely and in your power. We'll take you all the way from unpacking industrial care to what DIY prenatal care looks like, how to pick and prep your support team, what to expect, look out for, and how to shift when more support could be needed. Yes, we'll cover the what-ifs, how to prevent complications, and how to orient your entire life towards a powerful birth. So head on over to freebirthsocietycourses.com now and take the first step towards the birth of your dreams. Despite learning in her pregnancy that the baby Amana was growing would be incompatible with life, Amana, as a first-time mother, decided to move forward with her plan to birth her daughter at home. Through this first birth experience, she learned that birth and death are one. Amana shares with us today the wisdom of a resilient woman who has walked through the fires of free birth, death, life, and loss again and again. Welcome, Amana. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Excited to have you here. And I know you have lots of stories and lots of different stories to share. Yeah, let's just dive on in. Take us to the beginning of where you would kind of mark your mothering journey beginning. Um, well, for me, I was one of those people who always I always knew I wanted to be a mom I was obsessed with babies and birth from a very young age there are photos of me like feeding my next door neighbor who's 15 months younger than me like standing on telephone books and like feeding her in her high chair so I just always knew I wanted to be a mom and then I found myself like in my early 30s without children without a, a man to make babies with and put a call out to the universe to, and to my soul babies. I knew that I had soul babies and I asked them to help me find my, my soul flame and their father. And 
I did a 40 day ritual and asked him to meet me at this festival and this little butterfly flew in front of my face and led me to him. And yeah, he he proposed two weeks later. We got married a few months later and we're open for our soul babies to come through, you know, shortly after that. Wow. And so, yeah, at that time I had been attending births as a birth assistant for a few years already, you know, had witnessed home births and birth center births and knew that I wanted to have my babies at home. And we conceived our first little spark of life, my first little wombling. I was super excited. And then at six weeks, I started to bleed and had an early birth with that baby. I was sad and, you know, mad, but. Was that your first pregnancy ever? Yeah, my first pregnancy ever. And did you just stay home and release the pregnancy? Yeah, we were actually on our way to like our honeymoon in Hawaii. So I was bleeding like on the plane and in Hawaii. um, You know, that was a little hard dynamically, just like he didn't understand how sad I was in that moment. But, you know, he was trying to support me in any way that he could. But I was so glad to be like in the ocean and allowing, you know, my blood to flow there and remembering that like one drop is then the whole ocean. And yeah. Then a few, we, you know, had this little, uh, our baby altar and we're really calling in our next soul baby and asking them to stay and welcomed in another soul near the new year. And so then I was pregnant again and so happy and just kept talking to that little womb and asking them to stay. And uh, I was super nauseous and vomiting that pregnancy. and. I found a midwife, a single practice midwife that I decided to engage in care with. What single practice mean? Like the midwife practice that I had worked with before when I was attending birth, it was like three midwives where, you know, you don't know which midwife is going to be there. And so I chose a single practice. This woman showing up. Yeah. She was a licensed midwife and she was within her licensure as supportive as she could be of, you know, mm-hmm. non-intervention. All, all of her daughters had babies and didn't have ultrasounds and things like that. And anyhow, I, I was choosing not to have an ultrasound either. Although I had sort of said to this little woman, like, you know, if that is something that you need, sort of let me know. And when I was around six months pregnant, you know, could feel this little baby moving inside of me. And I started having this right-sided pain that I didn't know what it was. I thought maybe it was round ligament pain or something like that, just because I hadn't gotten to experience pregnancy before. Um, And then I started having bloody urine. Mm. And that's when I decided to go into the medical system and get some testing done. And it turned out I had, you know, like through my blood, I had an infection and they did a an ultrasound of my like kidney and such. And I had a blocked right ureter, which is a tube like from your kidney down to your bladder. The tube between those two was blocked. And they said that, you know, if I didn't unblock it, that that would become, you know, more of a problem and that I could have a full body, you know, infection that would cause harm to me and my baby. I wound up then deciding to have a stent placed 
Whoa. So it was like, yeah. Hardcore. Yeah. So I had a stent placed while, you know, in pregnancy and it was really uncomfortable, but I sort of took that as a sign that I decided to then have an ultrasound for the baby. baby. So after I'd been discharged from the hospital, I went back and I did have an ultrasound and it was through that ultrasound that they told me that this baby inside of me did not have any kidneys and so didn't have a bladder and, um, you know, without kidneys, they don't make urine and their lungs don't develop. And so her lungs were super small and I was told that she wouldn't survive once she was born. Oh, that's so, so big. And so that's six months Mm -hmm. and you're also not like super well, but does Mm -hmm. this fix, like, are you fixed? Are you fine after that health wise? And is it just about the baby? Like, just how do you, I mean, this is a giant question. How do you like, who are you over those next three, four months of pregnancy? You know, the, tell me about the choice you made to continue onwards with the pregnancy. And I know in some States you have the medical support to end pregnancies that late, if it's in mm-hmm. life, just, yeah, tell us about that. Cause it's, you know, one of those just impossible discoveries. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm in Washington state and, and they did offer for me to induce labor, but I chose not to, I was, you know, so sad, distraught, angry, you know, angry at the world, angry at my body, like not understanding, like, why do I have this great desire to have babies? And then this is my experience. Like I can feel this baby moving inside of me. And it was a, yeah, a really hard time. And then also I was able to then move forward in those next months and really kind of cherish and hold space and create intentional memories with this little baby, knowing that this would be the time that I had with them. Mm. Um, you know, went to see different family members, would do things like, you know, read blueberries for Sal while I was eating blueberries and talk to this baby and say, you know, this is what blueberries taste like and just things like that, that, that felt good. I was lucky enough to have a beautiful community of women that, gave me uh, an incredible blessing way ceremony, obviously not your typical blessing way ceremony, but we all knew that, you know, she would die. And yet women, you know, 15 women in my community showed up and created this beautiful space and held me and my baby and honored this mother experience that I was going through. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm so glad you had that. So it was, is there anything more to say about your choice to continue on with the pregnancy and say yes to her, her little short life or, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not, as you know, as a birth worker, that's not the most popular choice. Right. You know, most women in the Western world that I am aware of statistically absolutely choose to end the pregnancy. Right. Right. And, and yeah. Pregnancy. 
Yeah. I mean, I can understand and, you know, honor women that make that choice. But for me, it was like, no questions. Like that was not my choice. I still wanted to birth my baby at home. Um, from the ultrasound, we knew she was a little, she was bummed down. And, um, so I was going to be birthing her breech at home. And my midwife was super comfortable with that. And she was just like really beautifully supportive and held me in that grieving space. So she didn't hesitate on let's do mm-hmm. that. That's awesome. Yeah. So a, a fetus doesn't need like a womb doesn't need the bladder for the amniotic fluid. Like you did, you went to term with her. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't totally realize that you could stay pregnant that long. You know what I'm saying? Like without sure. that uh, without the amniotic fluid and such. Yeah. I mean, there was the, and I, it just felt so synchronistic that it was like my, that I had right. this like kidney thing to then discover that she didn't have, it felt very like this of was course. her call to tell me. I didn't know she was a girl at the time, but there's the risk when there's not amniotic fluid. Like there was a risk of cord compression that she might die inside my womb before she got to term or in labor. So I knew that those were possibilities, but she was still, you know, alive. And it probably alive. isn't the case that there's no fluids. It's probably just that there's not an abundance of it. Right. I would imagine because there's yeah. still blood and stuff. Sure. It's- there's some, and you know, her water wound up. Well, I don't, I never had like a sensation of her water breaking the way I have with other births, but, and I yeah. was in the water when. I birthed her. So it's hard for me to say if there was any or not. I I have thought about like, what would it have been like if I hadn't had that ultrasound? And for me, I was grateful that I'd had it because I would have still had her birthed her at home. And if she was born and she wasn't breathing, I like have done neonatal resuscitation. Like I would have been trying to resuscitate her. I would have taken her to the hospital. Um, I think And I'm glad that, that, that I knew because that allowed me to just like hold her in tenderness and not have like those few moments of her being alive be also like filled with like panic, panic Mm -hmm. and pain and things like that. Was she born already gone? She was born alive. Yeah. Okay. She, she didn't open her eyes, but she was born alive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how long was there a sense that she was alive for? just moments, you know, I, I birthed her in the birthing pool and, you know, her little bum came out and her legs flopped out and her legs were moving. I, you know, my husband was right behind me and I said like, you know, feel our baby move, you know, baby's alive. And he could, he felt her kick and, um, you know, she was born just like up to like here, like this part was left inside. And then I gave one more push and she was born and, you know, I, held her and when I pulled her up from the water her eyes were closed and she took a few kind of gasping breaths and and then her her soul was gone wow yeah so then in your most recent free birth did you get ultrasounds or did you just go full no in my son's pregnancy I did choose to have an ultrasound to see that he had all of his parts and also knowing that that doesn't mean that he's going to be born alive or live after that like but for me 
I wanted to know that in my daughter's pregnancy, my last one, I chose not to. So I didn't know Mm -hmm. before she was born if she had everything or not. Yeah. That's big work, man. Okay. So your, your first daughter is born. Yeah. And And her labor was super long, by the way, it was like over a few days. Cause when I went, you know, I didn't want to go into labor. I knew labor meant birth, which meant death. So I just, you know, was holding on when I went into labor. I like had a glass of wine and like took a bath, tried to like slow things down. It, you know, happened over three days and, you know, eventually I did birth. What what gestation around were you? Right around 37 weeks. Okay. On the earlier end. So on the earlier end, which is more common for babies that don't have kidneys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then who are you after that? After that, I was a mess for a while. And a new marriage, that's so hard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, you know, and everyone grieves differently. Grief is unique with each like experience and each person. And like, I really wanted to, like I held on to her body for like 34 hours after she was born and, you know, kept her at home and carried her around and slept with her. And my husband had a hard time being with her body afterwards. Yeah. Um, on that note, would you actually flesh that out a little bit? Because mm-hmm. that's not, um, again, that's not even like something that most women know they have the option of mm-hmm. and that's a really important, important thing to know about when you birth at home. So you have this medical midwife that I'm assuming is straddling some sort of legal, like, like, how does this go? So the, so the baby is born, she's, she's gone. And mm-hmm. you need to get a death certificate. And what's like the legal parameters in Washington of keeping a body in home? Like, I only know what it is in California, but did you have, like, did you keep her body cool? Was she, was someone like teaching you how to do all of this? Did your midwife have a ton of knowledge in this? Yeah. She didn't have a ton of knowledge. She'd communicated with like one of the physicians at the hospital who, you know, told me. And so because that they knew the baby was going to die, there wasn't like, right. it was okay for her to be there. And, you know, she handled a lot of the legal stuff that I didn't really have to take that on. And, mm-hmm. um, That's I nice. was allowed. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, she gave me some like instructions of things that I could do with baby, but I, I didn't like keep my baby cold. I didn't Hartley is what we called her. And I just, I held her with me and, um, like I gave her a bath and anointed her with oils and brought her out into the daylight for a little bit. And, you know, my dad came and saw her and yeah. So, and we could have kept her longer, but you know, at a after a few days, there is, you know, a smell and things start to shift and change. And I was ready, not ready, you know, to have the one thing that you can't do is like, we couldn't transport her body to the funeral home where we were having her cremated. We couldn't like bury her ourselves. We had to have someone come to, you have to have some licensed funeral, a license to transport a dead body. Mm -hmm. And then you did cremate her. And then we did cremate her. Yeah, we cremated her. We picked up her ashes and we decided to take a road trip down the Oregon coast and down into the redwoods and 
you know, that felt good to kind of be away from our normal space. And, you know, I carried her ashes with me everywhere. I was pumping milk because I wanted to donate. So at that time I was like pumping and like dumping the milk or, you know, releasing the milk into the ocean or the redwoods, wherever we were. And we sprinkled some of her ashes in a couple of places and that felt good. Wow. What an initiation into that, that part of motherhood, that section of motherhood that lots of women won't even ever know. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then what happens? And then, you know, we are still open. We open again to receiving another little soul. Yeah. I mean, we were open to it pretty soon. We never like used any preventative measure after that, but you know, my body was wise. It didn't conceive right. I didn't conceive right away. It was several months later that then, um, another little soul came into my womb and I was pregnant again. And of course, excited and nervous and having all the feels I was with the same midwife at the time. And I did decide to have an ultrasound to see, you know, we talked about the different possibilities and she was still comfortable with me not having one, but I, and at that point I hadn't even heard of free birth. So I didn't know that was like in the realm, but I, I chose. But to also she sounds, she sounds awesome. She is. She's amazing. I mean, that I sounds like exactly all. what makes sense to choose like it's not Mm -hmm. like she violated you no not like or that you were a victim to all the nonsense you know we always talk about like it sounds like she was a really helpful woman in your life yes thank god yes yes she was and she actually uh right after hartley was born in our home she bought a house that was just a few doors down from us which was really fun yeah, I think it was 16 weeks was when they said the earliest was that they could see whether or not baby had kidneys. And so I did it at 16 weeks. And then in that they said, you know, if you come back at 20 weeks, then we can like really tell and make sure. And I did go back at 20 weeks. And then after that, no more after that. Uh, and yeah, continued to plan a home birth with with that baby and and his pregnancy was so smooth compared to Hartley's and I I puked once I was not puking every day and that felt really nice and you know again grateful that baby had all of their parts and also held the knowing that that didn't mean he would be born alive Mm. so what was your level of like coming up into that birth did you feel just everything or were you fairly anxious were you like able to drop into some realms of trust and and getting like truly excited to have your baby finally or what was that yeah I I was excited I you know I still had you know bought baby clothes and baby things I know some women who experience a stillbirth then choose not to buy like any diapers or any clothes or anything until baby is born and breathing but I that wasn't my path. And I had some anxiety, but also was just really excited and yeah, hopeful. And, you know, spoke to this little baby and was like, please, you know, breathe right away and cry right away. Like I, you know, have witnessed enough births that I knew that there's like a, you know, a wide 
spectrum of what's normal for breathing after birth. But I just was like, please just don't like linger. Don't mess with me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So for him, I was 40 weeks and one day and I woke up to labor early in the morning and I'd first sort of tried to stay in bed for a moment was like, no, this isn't happening. And so I got out of bed and labored on my own for a while and that felt nice. And, and then I decided to send my husband a text message that I, I figured he would receive like when he woke up and turned his phone or his ringer on or whatever. Uh, but he forgot to turn his ringer off. So it was like five or I guess it was almost six in the morning when I, I sent him the message just to be like, I'm in labor. Like, don't just stay in the bedroom. Come out here and be with me. But I wanted him rested in case it was another like long labor. And but his ringer was on. So he like woke up and came out and was like, oh, my gosh, you're in labor. He was so excited. And I had my little list of things that I wanted him to do, like clean the toilet in case I was going to puke and a few other little things. And um, I was baking some bread and had it rising by the fire. This was like the end of the end of December. So really cozy and fireplace and snowy. And he asked if he could take a shower. And I was like, yeah, sure. You want some eggs? I made him some eggs. And then kind of when he got out of the shower and was in my space, uh, the contractions just really increased in intensity. And I decided to get in the shower to see if that would help ease the sensations at all. It didn't really, they just kept, kept coming, but were like inconsistent in timing. I was timing them a little bit and he was trying to get the birth pool set up for me. And I was like, Oh, like this is getting hard. And I decided to just fill the regular bath. And I started wanting to have him close to me and was just like, forget the freaking birth pool just stay with me and and he was like should I call the midwife and then he did and and between when he called her and she arrived like my my water broke in the bathtub I felt like that pop and he saw the little gush of blood and he was like oh is that okay and I'm like yes it's okay and she she arrived I was starting to feel I could feel I was feeling pushy And when she came, she just, you know, arrived, set her bag down, kind of like looked and she was like, oh yeah, like I can see baby's head. And seven minutes, seven minutes later, he emerged and cried right away. And he had a really short cord. I couldn't like quite get him like, you know, up to my chest. I kind of had to hold him down here. And I felt sort of out of it because I think just it going so quickly, I wasn't expecting that. I was a little sort of out and in within myself and but so grateful that he was alive and breathing. How many hours was the labor? About six. Mm-hmm. And he was perfect. Yeah. And he was perfect and beautiful and placenta was birthed super easily. I decided to cut, cut our cord myself and we got into bed and he nursed like a champ from the beginning, like loved being attached to the boob. And that was great. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank God. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a great midwife too. Mm-hmm. 
like knowing what you know now, do you have any, well, I guess we'll just move into it. Well, because I, I guess you have a couple more pregnancies in between, but like what, what happens for you in this evolution between your son and your daughter where you mm-hmm. don't hire her again and, and what, mm-hmm. like, who do you become that that is different for you? Yeah. So I, it was after my son was born that then like the word free birth and the concept like came into my sphere and I was like, oh, okay. Like that makes sense. And, and then I was reflecting on like my mother line and that my mother was an unplanned unassisted birth. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, my ancestors did it and just really. Everyone's ancestors did it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) so I knew I wanted to do that for my next um birth at that at that time and also was like reflecting back to my son's birth and how because I had expected or envisioned my birth with her present I sort of held and waited for her to arrive to birth my baby and that and I had some like fear around that and if I had if I had just planned for her not to be there, it wouldn't be the same feeling. I'm just like, okay, the next time I'm just going to plan for her not to be there. And Gosh, so- even just that, just that point, you know, which has nothing to do with our critiques of medical midwifery. It has nothing to do with like that could show up in, in that could show up with anybody, you know, it's not even specific to the midwife. Just that is such a big deal to tilt and and have what you need in your home have what you think you need have what you think you want just Mm -hmm. already with you just that psychological shift yeah I think I think is um like not talked about enough because I mean it, it happens with women I attend it happens I'm sure with women you attend it's it's not something we can get out of if somebody wants someone who doesn't live with them there, right? It just automatically adds that layer that can very, very, it can be so subtle. You know, sometimes it's really obvious, but sometimes it's really subtle and it's not until I show up or until, you know, I hear stories of of whoever, even if it's the sister showing up that the woman can Mm -hmm. like fully relax. And yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that lately because I travel fairly far for births or mm-hmm. I'm willing to, you know, in the right mm-hmm. circumstances. And it's tricky with, with that element. And it's kind of like hard to talk about, you know, cause it's, it can show up really subtly. Um, yeah. But even just that, I think is such an important shift of why women do choose free birth. It's not necessarily from trauma and betrayal and restrictions of licensure and all this heady shit. It's also, mm-hmm. Like, what if I just knew I had everything I needed when I woke up and found myself in labor, you know, and what a liberating, powerful, relaxing concept. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So between my son and my living daughter, I had experienced two early births, one at 11 weeks and another one at six weeks. And my 11 week loss. She was an unexpected pregnancy that I was, we were, you know, tracking our cycle. I was tracking my cycle and we're trying not to conceive. Mm -hmm. And then she appeared and I was super 
excited and grateful. My son was just over a year. So I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to have like two under two. And when I looked up, you know, from my last menstrual cycle, like when my 40 weeks would be, it was on my birthday, November 20th. And that felt like so sweet and beautiful and aligned. I was conceived when my mother was on birth control. So I'm like, okay, like I was that one that like came on through anyway. And she's like coming on through anyway. So I was really excited and happy. And my sister-in-law was pregnant at the same time, due just like a week apart. And then I started bleeding at 11 weeks and was really, really sad. And, you know, it's hard because people around me, like one thing that we talk about in the loss community, like some people say to you, it's not going to happen again. Like when you have one and it's always like, F you, you have no idea. Like meaning when you have one miscarriage. Yeah. Of course it could happen again. Exactly. But some people say it won't, which is yeah, That's ridiculous. Crazy. That's yep. Crazy. And, uh, and 11 then, weeks is like, you've let your guard down a little bit about it. Like, yeah. That's not yeah. just finding out in a couple of days later. That's really yeah. enough to be truly. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened. We named her Nyla Rose and... You know, I've buried some of her with a plum tree and some rose bushes and that felt nice. And and you birthed her at home? I tried to. Uh, she is my baby that I, I tried to birth at home. I labored and then I could feel that there was still like when I reached felt inside of myself, I could feel coming out of my cervix, some of the like sack and whatnot that wasn't coming out. And so I, you know, held on to that for a couple of weeks and wound up then eventually trying to use some pharmaceuticals, but those never, she still didn't come out. And eventually I did go into the hospital and have a DNC. So you could feel that there was still pregnancy tissue, Mm -hmm. the, the medication didn't get it out. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's brutal. Yeah, of course. And you spiked a fever, which was your indication to go in, right? Yeah, I spiked a fever, and it you know started to smell. You know, the tissue was starting to rot inside of me, and then I had the fever and was you know yeah, yeah. wanted to go in and have her removed the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I, you know, when I went in and I said I wanted to keep the, you know, the baby, they were like, well, we have to send it off to pathology and whatever. And I was like, no, you don't like I can keep it. And I asked to speak to the house supervisor and, you know, it wound up that then the doctor didn't really want me to be allowed to keep it, but She, yeah, she took a sample and I was able to. My understanding of, cause it's not really a DNC anymore. It's vacuum, <clears throat> right? And so the vacuum goes into a machine. So did something, did you not have that? Cause what like the things I've seen when I've been with women who have abortions, mm-hmm. you know, like a tube, I'm forgetting the word goes into the cervix, vacuums uh-huh. out the contents. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. And then there's like a, like a machine that it goes into, but is that not what happened for you? 
I, that's a great question. I mean, they called it a DNC and I wasn't awake during the procedure. So oh. I can't tell you what happened exactly. You weren't awake. Whoa, that's intense. Huh. Okay. At 11 weeks. Wow. That's kind of unusual. You were totally sedated. Mm-hmm. Wow. And was it in a clinic or a hospital? A hospital. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So we don't know then. So I don't know. And, but they, you know, had it in like a Tupperware. Yeah. (laughs) They say D and C still everywhere, even though that's not really in first world. That's not really, no one's, no one's scraping. That's not it. it, You know, it's a vacuum now, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. obviously I wasn't there. So maybe it was that, but yeah, anyway, I've just, I've been in the room and seen it. And I've always Mm -hmm. thought, cause women, I've been with women who have asked for, the baby, the pregnancy tissue, whatever. And they're like, it doesn't, it like physically can't work that way given how they Uh, extract it anyway. But so you were given something like, was it notable? Like what, what, what was that like? Yeah, I, it was like, you know, there were some blood clots and it was like, you know, a sack with placenta. Mm -hmm. I, I had also already passed some in my in my early birth labor. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't notably like necessarily see yeah. baby. Cause also at 11 weeks, the range of when the, when the fetus stopped, stopped. living could exactly. have been at five weeks. Absolutely. And that's another thing, you know, obviously you and I know that, but I think it's important yeah. to share because you know, women, women, we have such lost knowledge on on this whole topic and mm-hmm. you know and the lost knowledge really contributes to over engaging in the system over not saying anyway saying that you did but you know what I mean like just sure. not knowing anything and so you go yeah. in and just do whatever and you don't even know what happened to you and you know so many women have that experience but yeah that at any point from the spark of of pregnancy I mean it can take at any point in the pregnancy, not even in the first trimester, at any point in the pregnancy, a you know, fetus can die and it can take months before you release, which is intense, but because we're in the free birth world, like I know lots of women who've done that where it's taken, Mm. you know, them at all different trimesters months, which is so different than what we would think, you know, when you see a doctor, you like get that out as soon as it's figured out. Right. You know, a few months go by and we we do conceive again and then that pregnancy ends at six weeks and that was you know uncomplicated and was able to birth that baby at home and then I was sort of just like oh my gosh like maybe we're not gonna get this next baby like maybe maybe my son is my only living child and sort of coming to terms with that and also like feeling like this soul and spirit was there that my daughter was, you know, going to come and, you know, had some moments with universe being like, you know, now is the time, like I'm in my mid thirties, like, uh, and then near summer solstice of 2019, I guess it would have been, we, conceived again and it was my daughter 
and I was super nauseous and puking again, like I was in Hartley's pregnancy, puking, puking, like, you know, get up to go to the bathroom and I'm puking, roll over in bed, I'm puking, my husband is right. Yeah, yeah. Brutal, dude. (laughs) My husband, like, even, like, wrote me little love notes on, like, the back of the toilet see you know like you're amazing you know bought me like a knee board because I was always like kneeling at the porcelain throne uh yeah that sucked but you know it was what it was I was grateful to be pregnant the one thing that I did decide to do in this pregnancy in the medical system was to get the 10-week maternal blood test because I wanted to know if baby was a boy or a girl, I went through some sort of some grief with my son, expecting he was going to be a girl and having him be a boy. And so anyway, I just did decide to do that one blood test and then nothing else after that. So her pregnancy was hard, yet I was like, you know, knew, knew she was a girl by blood also. And I was just like so grateful that she was a girl, that she was growing in my womb. And it was reminding me of Hartley's pregnancy. So there were, you know, I was like, and it was hard. I was like depressed just because I was nauseous all the time. Mm. It was hard to be like, you know, I'm happy because I'm pregnant and yet I'm like miserable and puking and nauseous and just like, and it (sighs) paralleled Hartley's pregnancy in that way, which in moments I was like, you know, does this mean that this baby also doesn't have kidneys? But I, you know, was like, probably she does. And, you know, I think it was a little harder for some people around me, you know, people asking, are you sure you don't want to get an ultrasound to know? And I was just and always why didn't you? I, I just, I didn't want to, I, I knew the harms of ultrasound. And I even had at that point, you know, like, felt bad that I did that with my son. I didn't really understand the harms on the same level when I had my older son with my son, but at that point I like really did. And I really just didn't, I was like, it wouldn't change. I wouldn't, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't then choose to induce labor. I would still carry that baby. I would still want to have that baby at home and I would still want to birth her at home, even if she was going to die. So it wouldn't change my path. So I just chose not to. I mean, that's such a good point, right? That's such an important decision-making aspect that I, I, you know, I, I would like to see more women consider, like what would knowing any of this change? And mm-hmm. if, <clears throat> if it's nothing, I mean, I guess you could argue for like the preparation of it, right? Like the, the emotional, right. literal preparation has value for some people. For other people, it would just be a stressful, horrific Mm-hmm. you know time knowing anyway and then you also have the reference point now of a healthy son mm-hmm. which is so helpful yeah so for her I'm just like so excited and like waiting for birth to come and for the nausea and puking to be gone I know people kept being like second trimester and then people were like okay third trimester and oh. it just continued so brutal wow <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, but it just, it was what it was. And, you know, she's my fiery baby. And that was like her expression of fire from within. Anything else you want to say before you tell the story about like choosing free birth and not having the midwife and how's your partner feel? And just, is there anything else to kind of prep 
the setup? Um, not really. I mean, my husband was a little bit nervous and yet he trusted, you know, trusted me and was supportive of the supportive of the choice. And, you know, he kind of felt the same way that, you know, the midwife was there just seven minutes before our son was born. Like right. we can do this without her, like no biggie, you know, my main things like, okay, you know, you're going to have to like wipe my poop and deal with the blood and, you know, and he's like, okay, okay, I can do that. Yeah. So so least he can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't like tell a ton of people that that was my plan. Most people mm-hmm. assumed I was going to have a midwife present and I just sort of allowed that because I didn't want to deal with talking about it with a lot of people. Yeah. We knew that this would probably, you know, if this baby survived, that this would be my last pregnancy in birth. I turned 40 this year and, you know, I'm super grateful to be where mm-hmm. I'm at and have these two living babies. Yeah. So I had, you know, been in the birth world and for a long time, and I really did want photos and video of this birth as I knew it would be probably my last. And uh, so I did invite a couple women in my community to be at my birth that are dear friends to mine, one to take pictures and one to do video. Hartley and Odin had both been born in water. So I really sort of envision this birth as a land birth or a dry birth and created that space in my living room and had mirrors and artwork of women and women with babies and photos of, you know, my mother and my grandmother and my other grandmother and yeah, really enjoyed preparing the space and preparing for labor. I was 40 weeks on March 16th of 2020 and that's sort of when COVID came into the whole sphere. And so, you know, as I approached that time is when that was all happening. And I definitely, you know, felt some fear initially when I didn't understand and didn't know and had this, you know, precious new life inside of me. I, my son was born just one day after 40 weeks. So I sort of thought I would, you know, birth her before that I thought she was going to be a Pisces and she was not she stayed in until 41 weeks and a couple of days and and oh we had done some work with my son he was three at that time and he wanted to be present at this baby's birth I'd showed him lots of videos and talked to him about it and told him you know what sounds I would be making might be making and things like that We did invite my mother-in-law to come and be with us so that she could be sort of his person if in the moment he decided he didn't want to be there, that he could be with her somewhere else. And so she was staying with us at the time and I went into labor early in the morning again, woke up to really strong contractions that were yeah, fierce and strong. And I, I never really found a rhythm with them. I got out of bed kind of right away. Tried different, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, try different positions, right? Nothing was, nothing changed the sensations. They just kept being strong and consistent. I didn't time them at all. I woke up my husband a little bit later and he was present with me and, you know, held me and was just with me during them. And that felt good. We called my friends, Rakana and Clementine, and they, you know, entered the space really beautifully and didn't, I didn't feel, I enjoyed their loving presence and, and labor continued to progress 
And I, then when I started sort of feeling the pushy feelings, I had them wake up my mother-in-law and she got my son and they came out into this face and he was really sweet and you know like oh mama and yeah. he was just right there with us it, that didn't feel like uh, too many people it didn't nice. no it felt really good yeah mm-hmm. there was in my earlier labor like my mother-in-law came out because she heard us mm-hmm. and and I didn't like having her in the space then and asked her to you know go somewhere else and she did but at that point, no, it felt I was glad that she was there and that my son was there. And I had, you know, like a, a mirror, a big mirror. And I wound up like in front of this full length mirror. And I had this kind of circular mirror down below. And I was just sitting on the floor with my husband behind me. And so I enjoyed he's tall. He's six, nine. So, what? yeah. Whoa, that's really tall. <laughs> I'm five one. So that would be hilarious. <laughs> Are you kind of tall? I'm I'm like five seven. Okay. So tallish, but not tall like yeah. that. Yeah. No. Yeah, I know. I asked Universe for a tall man. I had no idea he was gonna be Whoa. quite so tall. But yeah. Wow. So I really enjoyed having the mirror because even though he was behind me, we could have like the eye contact through the mirror, which felt really nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I started to feel baby emerging. I was not ready for it. I had my, I held my hand over her head and over over me for several contractions as I, you know, sort of allowed the stretching Ooh. and just Ooh, like, whoa, you're yeah. just like busting through, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I went into labor around two and she was born a little before 6 a.m. So four hours. Uh huh. So I, you know, held her and held her. And then eventually it was like, oh, okay, I got to let her come. And I released my hand and her head came out. And uh, (laughs) then she did her little turn. And then she was born up to like kind of her belly button. The cord was sort of like lassoed around her. And my husband helped me to kind of hold her so that I could unloop the cord and then her little button legs fell out and I I pulled her to my chest and we all cried and I looked and was like oh you really are a girl and everyone was just there and in love and in awe and she was breathing right away and it was magical and beautiful sounds like it perfection yeah and then just a few few minutes later I could feel the placenta ready to birth I had this little pie dish pie dish that I wanted to birth it in so I just like went I was holding her and I just went onto my knee I don't know I was on like a painting cloth we had a painting cloth on our carpet that's a smart idea yeah that's a really smart idea like a big canvas kind of yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had it like, it was huge. So we had it doubled over and mm-hmm. it was enough to stop anything from getting to the Totally. Carpet. That's better yeah. than a tarp. Yeah. You I don't, know, I wouldn't, tarps all like I wouldn't want to be on a, yeah. yeah. And Ooh, flippy and. Okay. Mm-hmm. Learning all sorts of tips. From <laughs> okay. I love it. So full sentence. Yeah. 
easy peasy. Then everyone, you know, helps me and baby to move to the bed. My husband is like using a washcloth to get like the blood off of my feet and things. And they do a fresh squeezed juice for me. Mm-hmm. And I had decided that with this cord, I wanted to do a cord burning. So I got four really long tapered beeswax candles and we did that in the bedroom. I had asked um, my friends Clementine and Rakana and my mother-in-law to each hold one. So they each held a candle and myself. So the four of us women there held the candles and my daughter was like awake and looking at the fire and it, you know, took just a few minutes with those four candles to, to burn the cord. And then we were, she was separate from her placenta and she latched beautifully and nursed and life was, life was complete. Mm, That's so sweet. I can picture it. So tell me a little bit about from her. Okay. So that was 2020 you said, so that was only two and a half years ago or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yep. so what is life like for you now as a free birther, a birth worker? And then I know you also do work with bereaved mothers and parents. So we can kind of end on that note, just anything you want to share about your work and who you are now. Yeah. So I, I mentor and support women in the seasons of pregnancy, birthing and mothering through conscious dialogue. I really love incorporating ceremony and ritual, somatic experiencing and movement in the care that I provide. Some of it is in person and some of it is virtual. And, and yeah, I have unique offerings for women who are experiencing you know, early birth loss or infant loss and to navigate those waves of grief and be able to connect with someone who has, you know, walked a similar path. Mm-hmm. And what's your website? It's www.birthingnova.love. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes also. Yeah. Anything else you want to say before we wrap? Um, I guess, well, I also, I have a podcast called the heart of the soul, which also has stories of birth, life, and death and remembering what it means to be wild women walking upon this earth. Beautiful. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you. And that's it for today. My sisters check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise, and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. 
I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the sea.